Did you know that studies have shown affirmations can profoundly influence your psychological well-being, enhancing self-confidence and reducing anxiety? Here at Positive Birth Australia, we have crafted a 20-minute birth affirmations track filled with soulful, carefully curated affirmations to empower, inspire, and guide you to deeply remember the power you hold within. And to my fellow belly birth mothers, we have created a track specifically for you to honor that all birth is a sacred moment of profound significance. For only $5, you can download and immerse yourself in our affirmations track to transform your mindset in the lead up to birth and during labor, serving as a potent reminder of the inherent power and love you possess. Visit us at www.positivebirthaustralia.com or head to the show notes and follow the link provided to start your journey toward a more empowered birth experience. Welcome to Positive Birth Australia, a podcast created to empower and educate mothers along their own pregnancy journey. Each week, I'll be sharing insightful and inspiring birth stories and advice in the hopes to help you create your own positive birth experience. I'm your host, Sky Marie. Let's get into today's show. This week's episode is sponsored by Empowered Birth Academy by Beck Kinderman. Empowered Birth Academy is a complete guide to understanding physiological autonomous birth. It will give you all the tools you need to birth gently and positively like a pro. Maybe you've had a past traumatic birth and want to do things differently next time, or you've watched other women experience an empowering birth and you've decided you want that too. This course will help you build the confidence to make decisions out of a complete understanding of how birth is on a physiological level. You will know how to assert yourself to be able to maintain the decision maker and have full autonomy over your own body and birth. If you want to feel comfortable enough to fully express your real raw self in birth and you believe in honoring and respecting the process, but want the confidence to know how to prevent, recognize and handle complications, this course is for you. While this course is geared towards women wanting to choose an autonomous birth outside the system, if you decide to birth in the hospital, the tools you will learn in this course will give you the assurance to assert your desires with grace and confidence to have the birth you desire. This resource is still currently in the pre-launch stage, so please keep an eye out on my Instagram and upcoming episodes to find an exclusive discount code just for PBA listeners. Welcome back everyone. On today's episode, we hear the four powerful birth stories of Gold Coast mother and entrepreneur, Beck. Beck's first three children were born in America after a relocation for her husband's work. Being a first time mother in a new country, she leaned into her intuition when deciding where to birth her baby, connecting with a local home birth midwife who would become her friend and safety net. Her initiation into motherhood required endurance and strength, teaching her the valuable lesson of deep surrender, a lesson she utilized in all her future births by unraveling any remaining subconscious control and embodying all that is physiological birth. After having her first two babies, it was a natural progression for Beck to sink even deeper into her innate knowing and trust in birth, choosing to grow and birth her next two babies completely in her power. Beck shares the unexpected fears that arose when she moved back to Australia to birth her fourth baby and what seemingly innocent moments interrupted the hormonal flow of labor. Enjoy the episode. Hi Beck, welcome to Positive Birth Australia. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Do you want to just start off by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I live on the Gold Coast and um, I have four children and two girls, two boys in that order, (laughs) which is so amazing. And yeah, my husband and I, we actually um, coming up on our 10 year anniversary and and started our family in the United States. So we had our first three kids over there 
and they're American citizens. And then my last baby we just had in November of last year and we had just moved back to Australia a few months prior. So that's a little bit about us. (laughs) So is your husband American? No, he's Australian, but we've just traveled over there for his work and we just love it over there. So it kind of kept us there for a really long time. Yeah. And were all your pregnancies a planned conception? Yeah. So my first was actually a total surprise. My husband and I had not been together very long, about four months into our relationship. And it was, it was a complete surprise because I actually conceived her on my period, (gasps) which is like one of those situations where, yeah, my midwife was even like, that can't be right. I'm like, no, that, that is literally when it happened and um (laughs) so but she was the best thing obviously that ever happened to us so the the next three were all consciously conceived yes okay and sorry did you say that you conceived her here or when you moved to America we actually conceived here in Australia and then my husband boyfriend at the time found out that he had got this job in America um and you know it was kind of like a crossroads we didn't know I was pregnant and we're kind of deciding, like, do we do the long distance thing? Um, do I just come over there for three months? Because obviously without a visa, I couldn't live there and we couldn't get me a visa without being married. So it was one of those things where we're like, we're very new. We'll just see how this goes. I found out I was pregnant probably a few weeks later and we were like, okay, well, it's kind of settled. We're just going <laughs> to go to the courthouse, get married, and I'm going to move over there with you. <laughs> how amazing is that? So how was your pregnancy with her? Yeah, my pregnancy... Well, all, most of my pregnancies have been hard. Okay. Um, I wouldn't say like I'm very low risk in terms of like any medical conditions or anything like that, but I definitely struggled with a lot of pretty severe nausea, not HG, but just, you know, feeling totally crapped for that yeah. first first trimester and into the second trimester a little bit um and then you know like got that energy in the second trimester and started to feel good again and then as the third trimester um as I went into the third trimester I kind of started to feel that nausea come back and just really really low energy um and actually, it's interesting, like my uh, journey through, because I was actually a vegan for 10 years and my first three pregnancies, I was completely vegan. And my last, I had actually been, uh, I had transitioned back to animal products for a year and my fourth pregnancy was completely different, like no nausea, energetic beyond belief. Like I can't even explain the difference, which was really crazy. So yeah, like my first three pregnancies, I really struggled. I didn't like being pregnant. Um, but then like coming up to the birth, like actually giving birth, that's something that I love and would do over and over again. So oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Just getting through that nine months, right? Yeah. <laughs> so moving to America and being in a completely new country and medical system, what model of care did you choose? Yeah. So I had no idea. Like when we got there, I had, I had been to a doctor once here and, um, I, you know, just kind of didn't know what to do. So I just went to a GP and, uh, they did the blood test. They kind of like said, this is what you need to do. Get your ultrasound at this, this time. And I did all that. And then we got over there and, you know, we were getting settled in. So I didn't have any prenatal care for a little bit. Um, and then I was kind of deciding like, oh, I guess I have to find an OB or something. Like, what do I do? And so he was asking his work colleagues, you know, what did your wife do? Can you give us some recommendations for obstetricians? And they started giving us recommendations, but I just had this, I don't know, I just had this feeling in my gut, like, I don't want to go to hospital. Like, I I want to be at home. I don't want to go to a doctor. I just, I want to do this as naturally as possible. And I don't know what came over me, but it was just this really strong, intuitive feeling that I had that I was like, nah. And so I Googled home birth and found a midwife close to me that looked absolutely incredible. And so I thought, you know, I'm just going to meet with her, see how I feel. And, you know, I'll meet with others if I feel I need to, and I'll just make my decision from there. And I told my husband and he was just freaked out by it. Um, Did you know anyone that had had a home birth? No, I knew no one. How amazing that your intuition just kicked in like that. Totally. And like nine years ago, it just really wasn't, it wasn't a mainstream thing at all. Like I remember posting on my Facebook when I decided to home birth and, 
you know, like everyone was just telling me how dangerous it was and how they had to be in the hospital because this happened and this happened. And thankfully I'm, I was very secure in my decision, but yeah, it was just not something that you heard or that people like really, yeah. And no one supported it. So I saw this midwife and she was amazing. Like just straight away, I was like, this is what I need to do. This is, this is what I'm meant to be doing for my baby. And, um, my husband went, met with her and it definitely did calm some of his nerves, but he naturally, he just wasn't educated. And so he naturally just had those fears. And I just, I just felt so good. I just knew that this is what I wanted to do. So yeah, from about 19 or 20 weeks, I was, you know, I had prenatal care with my midwife, my home birth midwife. Yeah. And being a first-time mom, what was your perception of birth? Where were you drawing this deep trust in birth from? My mum had all like vaginal, pretty pretty natural births, like not completely unmedicated. I think she had gas, happy gas. Yeah. But um, she always talked about birth being like full-on but amazing. And so I never had a bad perspective of birth. Um, and so I just knew like this is something that our body is meant to be able to do. Like it's normal. It's natural. And so I wanted to really facilitate that process as best I could. Um, and so going into it, yeah, I was really, I was excited, but naturally because of so societal conditionings, um, <laughs> there are perceptions around the pain and all of that kind of stuff that I definitely did carry. And I had one friend of everyone I knew in my life. I had one friend back here in Australia who had, who was a young mum, and she had hospital births, but she loved giving birth. And she just talked about it being the most incredible experience of her life. And so I just clung to that. And she was the only person I spoke to. She's the only person I allowed in um, when it came to talking about birth in general. And so anytime I had fears or any, um, any concerns or anything like stirring up in me, I'd go to her. Or even if I just wanted to tell her how excited I was, like she got it. And so she was the one person that I went to, which was really amazing. Mm -hmm. Should we jump to that first sign of labor with her? Yeah. So I woke up um, at about 3 a.m. with period cramps and, you know, immediately opened my eyes and thought, oh, is this going to happen again? And waited. And 10 minutes later, it happened again. And then 10 minutes later. So I obviously didn't sleep from 3 a.m. And then about 6 a.m., I went to the toilet. And I think I, I think I had my bloody show, um, maybe a little bit of my mucus plug as well at that time. And I was like, this is it. And my mom had flown in from Australia two days prior. And so uh, she got there just in time. It was a day before my, you know, my guest date. And I thought, this is it. I'm having my baby today. And the all day, all day, my period cramps were just very consistent, increased a little bit in intensity and frequency, but not that much. And so obviously going through the whole day, I was like, what is happening? And I really wasn't prepared for early labor to potentially go a really long time and to be drawn out. And so I was frustrated and called my midwife and she's like, it's okay. Just, you know, like keep us in the loop, do things that, um, you know, keep you busy and keep your mind off of it, get rest as much as you can. And so I, I, I slept a little bit that night. I was frustrated, but I was able to sleep and I woke up the next day. And again, it was just a whole day of, uh, you know, they turned into more intense surges, but nothing I couldn't handle. I just kind of had to stop and breathe through them. And so my husband, my mom and I, we went out for lunch. We walked on the beach. We went to the movies that night because <laughs> what else are you going to do? You're just yeah. waiting for it to take off. And so um, my midwife came over that night and I said, can you check me? And at this time I you know, I have a very different view on cervical checks now, but at that time I just wanted to know where was I? Yeah. And it had been about 36 hours or 38 hours of labor. And she was like, well, you're two centimeters. And I was like, what, what is happening? <laughs> of course, now I realize that's the worst thing I could have done to myself yeah. because emotionally, mentally, I was like, nothing's happening. And so I, um, you know, she said, I really feel like tonight something's going to kick off. So call me when it happens, you know, I'll be there. And so I went, I tried to go to sleep and I really wasn't able to sleep that night. I had a bath and, you know, they didn't, they didn't calm down in the, in the warm water. So I thought like, this is it. 
And my mom and husband went to sleep and, you know, tried to get rest. And I just remember I was having to really like moan through them and really work through them at this point. They were coming every eight to 10 minutes and that was just all night. So I just didn't get any sleep. And then the next morning I woke up and I was so upset because I'm like, nothing happened again. What is going on? And so Uh, my midwife rang me and she said, what's happening? And I said, nothing's happening. So she actually sent her assistant over and her assistant brought over some herbs and things like that to kind of help get things moving. And she had me like doing certain like lunges up the stairs and things that could kind of help baby into a better position to, you know, put the pressure on the cervix and try to move things along. I think by 10 a.m. is when I kind of kicked into early uh, into active labor. Oh, okay. So it was actually helpful in moving things along. Yeah, definitely. It was like very intentional things that she was getting to me to do from about 8 to 10 a.m. And then that was when like, you know, I thought it was hard. First baby, you think, oh, this is so hard. But then the, the hard work was really from 10 a.m. Um, and even my active labor went for 10 hours and it was really long and drawn out. I had really, really intense, intense back labor. Mm -hmm. So I think she was posterior, although she did come out atypical. So I think the reason that she was so slow was that she was actually turning uh, during the labor process. And we'll get into what I experienced with my next three babies as to why I have that perspective. Mm -hmm. So I I wanted to be in the water so much during that time. and, And my midwives were saying like, look, things are just progressing so slowly. We just we need you to get out, come labor on the toilet. Um, and so I was doing a lot of laboring on the toilet, on a birth seat, you know, standing up, just they were wanting me to change positions because I just wanted to stay still. And um, eventually I started, uh, I, I headed into transition and I was in the birth pool and transition ended up being four hours for me. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but I remember like I, so much of that time is a blur because I had contraction on top of contraction on top of contraction. Then I have a small break, which my mom said I was, I was literally in a, the deepest sleep in that 30 seconds. And then I'd wake up when another three to six contractions on top of each other would come. And I remember looking up at my midwife and just saying, am I in transition? And she goes, maybe. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so it's not much longer to go. <laughs> and, um, and she's like, you're going to meet your baby soon. You know, I, I get now why she didn't affirm me completely. Yeah. Cause she didn't know exactly how long it was going to be. And, um, I was in transition for quite a few hours and they got me out of the pool and they said, look, like, do you want to be checked? Um, just to see like where you're at. Cause this has been going on a really long time. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. So they checked me and I was eight and a half centimeters and they said, okay, like we don't normally do this, but would you like us to break your waters? This might help things to move faster. And I was like, do it. I was so out of it. And I was just done. Like I definitely did not have fears, but I was like, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. When is this over? Mm. And so um, I was like, oh, yes, please just do it. They ruptured my membranes, which honestly was the most painful thing because they had to do it at the peak of a contraction. And I remember lying on my back, holding my mum's hand in one and my, my husband's hand in the other. And just there was the only time in my entire labor that I actually screamed mm. Um And it was just this shaky, like vibrating scream through my entire body. And, but then after then the contractions did get way more intense. I labored on the toilet for maybe another 20 minutes or so. And I was like, I need to push, I need to push. So they helped me back into the pool. And then, you know, I felt that urge. And so um, they were, they were all like, yep, awesome. That's great. Just go with it. And they were really amazing. And I being so new and not fully, fully understanding physiological birth and that I didn't voluntarily need to do anything. Um, I started pushing and, um, so I was voluntarily intentionally pushing and the urge completely went away. So I had the fetal ejection reflex starting and because I started pushing, pushing purposely, um, it went away. Like it's like the hormones just stopped releasing and I actually didn't get any more contractions, like none and (laughs) none. Like, and so I didn't tell my midwife this at the time because I was like, what's happening with my body? Like the urge was there and now I don't feel it. And so I'm like force pushing and like, you know, full blown chest pushing. I have videos and 
photo evidence of how like I was straining I was forcing the push so hard and I remember my midwife saying when it burns you blow okay just slow down and wait for the next contraction and I didn't want to tell her there aren't any contractions happening so I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and eventually like her head you know was crowning and retracting back in and then coming out and retracting back in multiple times Eventually, once she did come out, she shot out so hard and fast and I actually tore in three places. <laughs> so you were still not having any surges as she was coming out? No, nope, I was forcing it all. Wow, that is so interesting. Yeah. So your body was like, let me do it. I know. And like now I know better. I'm just like my poor vagina. Yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, you were at the peak of exhaustion, so, you know. I was, anyone would do yeah. That. And then the pushing phase was 55 minutes as well. Yeah, okay. So it wasn't, like, a quick, like, it was, yeah, it was intense. So, you know, the midwife had to catch her because she shot out so fast. She handed her to me and it was just, you know, the most incredible, amazing moment of my life, obviously. But I just remember being so exhausted and just thinking, gosh, you are, you are such hard work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And how was your postpartum after that experience? My postpartum was okay. I, d- I didn't have any, um, I didn't have any like depression. I did get some baby blues um, and I definitely found, and I found this with every single baby that about postpartum, three days postpartum, I started to feel really overwhelmed and emotional about the labor process being over. Like I was grieving the fact that it was done and gone. And it it was this most bizarre feeling because my mom was like, what's the matter? And I'm like, I just miss giving birth so much. That's so amazing. She's like, what? (laughs) Yeah, you okay? And it was this really overwhelming feeling that I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, why do I miss that? That was really hard. Yeah. Well, it's all those beautiful hormones. They become addictive, don't they? Yes, that's exactly right. All that oxytocin, you know. How did it feel in those moments when you realized that you had achieved this home birth that you were receiving so much criticism for? Yeah, I felt amazing. Like I just felt so empowered and I was screaming it from the rooftops, honestly. Like I was boasting about it on Facebook at the time because I wanted to just prove to women like birth doesn't have to be this scary event in hospital. Like everyone made out that it was going to be. Um, and so, yeah, I felt on top of the world. It was the most, I I just said to myself, I would never, ever birth any other way. Wow, how amazing is that? So when you fell pregnant with your second daughter, was the plan again to use the same midwife? Yep. So as soon as I found out that I was pregnant, I contacted my same midwife and went along that process. So I had the prenatal care from the very beginning with her. Um, that pregnancy again was like really, really hard with nausea and all of that. And But then the the birth was absolutely incredible, much shorter, much shorter. It was 15 hours from start to finish, but really only three hours of hard work. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember I actually almost went to 42 weeks with her. And so I remember saying to my midwife, what happens? Like, Because in California, legally they can only attend your birth from 37 to 42 weeks. So if you're outside of that, I mean, if you're Earlier than 37, women would obviously go to hospital. Um, but if you're over that, I said, what, what, what do I do? And she said, well, you can either go to hospital or you can stay at home. And once you've had the baby, you can call us and we can come over. It's up to what you're comfortable with. And I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do because I am way more scared of what will happen to me in hospital. So I was already planning and preparing myself for having my baby myself at home if it came to that Mm -hmm. Um, and I came in right under 42 weeks and you know when the when the labor started again it was you know period cramps that increased in intensity and frequency uh, frequency a lot sooner than my first Um, you know I just wanted to get things going and moving and so I called my midwife over and called my photographer and I was running upstairs at 1am at night trying to get things like progressing real quickly and um, my midwife said just rest like you need to lie down and go to sleep and I was like no I want to have this baby tonight and she's like seriously you need to go to sleep yeah and was that just because you were fearful it was going to take its time again? totally totally yeah. yeah yeah that was a big fear of mine like 
So she slept on my couch. My photographer slept on my my floor because we didn't know if it was going to wake me up and progress. Um, and then we woke up at 6 a.m. and I had my, my labor had slowed down and I was probably getting contractions every 20 to 30 minutes through the night and I would kind of wake up and breathe through them, but then I'd go back to sleep. So I got a decent amount of rest considering. Mm-hmm. And then I woke up at 6 a.m. and it was like the second that I woke up, um, they just took off again. And so it's just like my body communicating, you need rest. Mm. Um, we'll, we'll get back to this in the morning. And uh, my, my midwife actually had to leave and quickly go somewhere I can't remember what it was but she said I'll be back um before like you know 8 30 ish and so she got back um at nine uh, at 8 30 and about nine o'clock like definitely things had progressed um and my surges were a lot more intense but I was still like really chatty in between them and yeah just kind of really happy and not not super in any zone and so I said oh can you check me because I'm just interested to know where I am like these are really intense but I don't feel like I'm in active labor because I'm just so normal in between them and it was very different to my first experience so she checked me and I was nine and a half centimeters and then that and that three hours before I had her um was the hard work from nine and a half to actually the pushing phase and so um that was where I kind of really got into the zone and um, was working hard and obviously my body just needed more time um and it wasn't transition transition in that one was quick but it was just you know that last bit of dilation and getting that cervix out of the way so um i started to feel that urge this time and i just knew intuitively just go with it this time don't push don't force it um don't tear your vagina open again <laughs> um and so i remember being on the side of the pool going, oh, I need to push. I, I feel like I need to push. The midwives are like, okay. And they were just fanning me because I felt so hot. And I got in the pool and it was the most incredible, magical feeling of my life. I could feel her head descending down my the birth canal. Like I could just feel it and I was breathing. I was doing absolutely nothing. And it was just wow. the coolest, coolest feeling ever. And so um, that transition into, um, stage two was very, very fast and her head came out and she was posterior and her face was looking up at me and it was the most beautiful thing ever. I could just see her little squishy face and, you know, as she came out, I caught her in her own time. So it was, you know, slow and I pulled her straight up to my chest and it was, insane like such a different experience to the first even though they were both amazing and gentle births like the first was a lot harder in that pushing stage so and just trusting that like my body knows what to do yeah and um and it did it I didn't have to do anything and I remember saying to people after I literally breathed her out I didn't do anything my body just did it now like someone said to me that's the fetal ejection reflex and I was like what this is a thing and so I- <laughs> okay so was that the first time you'd sort of heard that terminology that was something I learned after my second like well right. I I think that they probably talked about it in my birth um, Mm. class, but it didn't click. Like I did a birth class before my first, but it definitely didn't click. And so, you know, because you just – you watch movies and you watch TV shows and you see them force pushing. So you think that's how you get your baby out. Once you get the urge, you have to start pushing voluntarily. Um, And so, yeah, going into the second, I was like, I'm just going to – I'm just not going to force it this time. I'm just going to let it happen and, and push when I feel I need to. But I actually didn't ever need to because my body just took over. Incredible. Our bodies are amazing. Yeah. So just to backtrack a little bit quickly before I forget, did you recover okay from your tear with your first birth? Yeah, I did have stitches with my first because I had torn pretty severely in Well, I don't think all three places were severe. I think one was a graze, which she didn't stitch. And then one area was uh, I needed three stitches. It wasn't like, it wasn't my perineum. So I don't know exactly where it was like internally. Mm -hmm. Um, That was really painful to recover from. That was worse than honestly anything. Um, And so the second time around, she checked me and I did have a graze, but I said no to stitches. Mm -hmm. And um, that healing was so much quicker. The recovery was so much nicer. Yeah. Okay. And what about your postpartum with her? My postpartum was interesting with her. Um, so I it started off really well. Um, both, all my kids have had oral ties, but with my first, we didn't find out until six weeks. So that was really 
an intense period, not knowing why she was so hungry and cranky all the time. I didn't even know she was hungry. She was just crying nonstop. Um, and with my second, I got the oral ties um, released pretty quickly. Breastfeeding started out really well. But we went through a period where we were having issues with our visa. And so we actually moved back to Australia for a, a short period. And we moved back when she was seven weeks. And so I was very, very early postpartum. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and we moved in with my in-laws, which living with family yeah. anytime is challenging. But... <laughs> <laughs> But like so early postpartum, it was just not a good situation. And so I ended up developing pretty severe postpartum anxiety. Um, And my letdowns actually completely stopped um, when she was about 11 weeks old. And so she was getting so frustrated because I could feel my letdowns really strongly. Like I got the pins and needles in my boobs and I knew when it was coming. And she'd be at my boob for 20 minutes like punching my boob, hitting it, trying to get the milk to come and just, you know, flailing her body, getting so frustrated. Um, And that obviously builds more anxiety. Um, And it was just this vicious cycle. So I ended up having to learn how to hand express because the pump wasn't doing anything. Um, And I ended up hand expressing for her until she was 16 months old while I was figuring out like why my anxiety um, was happening. So I was wanting to get to the root cause of my anxiety, fix that because I knew if I could deal with my anxiety, my letdowns could come back. And so I did deal with that and I did fix my anxiety and I did get my letdowns back. But by then she was about five or six months old and she didn't want a bar of me. And I would always try to put her on even when I had a letdown spraying everywhere and she just didn't want to be attached to me. So I just, it was pretty devastating because I love breastfeeding, but I just continued to hand express and feed her breast milk until she was, yeah, 16 months. And then, and then it was just, very exhausting for me. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Wow. Good on you for sticking that out. Thank though. you. Yeah. So, so that postpartum was really hard and, um, she's still to this day, like my most strong willed, stubborn, mm-hmm. challenging child. She's amazing, but like, oh my goodness, she gives <laughs> us a run for our money. So, um, I had quite a bit of a, a, a break in between her and my third, because I didn't know if I'd actually be able to cope with a third. Yeah, true. <laughs> What about your placentas? Did you do anything special with those? Yep, I encapsulated for the first and I actually had such a large placenta that she encapsulated a ton but she kept, she gave me a few pieces to keep for the first few days while she was encapsulating it Um, and so I put them in smoothies and I actually preferred it that way. So with my second and the rest after that, I just had raw pieces in my smoothies. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So you had a little gap between babies but you gave birth to him in America? I did. Yeah. We moved back. Um, and we, so I had him in 2019. And so the reason that we even decided to go for a third is because I've always imagined, I come from a family of four kids and I love having so many siblings Mm -hmm. and I see my mom and how happy she is just having so much, so many children and that joy that it brings. And so I always knew like big families are amazing. I, I'll never regret the children that I have, but I may regret if I don't have more. So that kind of pushed us into having another one. And my husband was like, can we try all the wives' tales to try and get a boy? And I was like, sure, (laughs) let's see how this goes. And um, (laughs) I decided with him that I, with the third, that I wanted to have a free birth. Um, I think after my second and realizing, hey, like I get a hang of this thing. Like I really didn't need my midwives there. I didn't. I don't really love, I, I know that they're, they're doing what they have to do, obviously, to just check vitals and all that. But I was like, you know what, next time, I just don't want the gloves. I don't want the yeah. checking of the heart rate. I just want to do it myself. And I believe that I can do it. And I didn't even know free birth existed, like that word. Mm-hmm. And when I decided to get pregnant again, I was telling people, I think I'm just going to do it myself. I'm just going to... and someone told me, oh, unassisted birth. And I was like, really? There's a term for it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to do that. I started Googling that. (laughs) So um, we got pregnant and um, we did the blood test. I decided I wanted to have a wild pregnancy and not actually get scans. And Mm -hmm. um, we did a blood test to find out his gender and it said male and we were stoked. And um, we went along the pregnancy and I actually had one prenatal appointment with my midwife in California and I just said to her, look, like um, I'm having a free birth and she was totally supportive of that. And I said, you know, can I have you as a backup in case? Because if 
there are complications that I feel need support beyond what I can give. Can I call you and not have to like not go to the hospital basically? And she said, yes. So I felt a lot more comfortable with that being my backup plan. Um, and so yeah, went along that pregnancy and went into labor again at about 5am. I felt the period cramps and I thought, oh my goodness, is this, is this it? And they got, they started getting fast and strong really quickly. So I called my birth photographer and she came and around 9 or 10 a.m. I started to feel so, so, so incredibly tired. And so I laid down in the bed and I slept for about an hour and maybe had two contractions in that time. And so it had slowed down again. It's so like I just when I look back at these points in my labors, our bodies are so smart, like labor wasn't stopping or not progressing, but it was communicating like you literally need rest right now and we can't continue until you give us some rest. Mm -hmm. And so when I actually honored my body and gave it what it needed, um, you know, once I woke up, I had this crazy burst of energy um, and things just took off again immediately and um, they started to progress. And um, in in both my labors after my first, I did have some back labor, but I had the front labor as well. And um, whereas with my first, it was all back labor and I didn't know that that was a thing. And it was so, so much worse than having the front. And so with my next two, it was front and back and it was totally manageable, but I never thought like I'd have another posterior baby. And he was also posterior. Yeah. So I um, was in the pool a lot. And then being our first free birth, um, I think the one area that my husband was like not excited about was scooping any poop out of the pool. <laughs> like that was something that my midwives did if there was any. And yeah, so true. it was the one thing that I think I was getting in my head about and I was really conscious. And so I started, you know, heading into transition and, and I was feeling that deep rectum pressure And I kept looking behind me thinking, oh, my gosh, like, am I just pooping everywhere right now? (laughs) (laughs) And so it was so intense that I was like, I know that this is the baby's head, but also I'm scared that I'm going to diarrhea at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) It's so normal, but yet so many of us are concerned about it during birth. Right? And so I'm like, (laughs) okay, I, I need a poo. I need a poo. And so... They were like, are you sure? Are you sure? And I'm like, yes, help me out of the pool. I need a poo. And so I went to the toilet and I sat on the toilet and that was it. Like I was not moving mm. because it was so intense. Like he, his head was descending so rapidly. And, um, you know, the video, video, the raw video footage of me at that time was just like my, my photographer was like, Jono, you're going to have to help her up if she wants to get back in the pool to have this baby. And he's like, can you get up? And I'm like, no, like, <laughs> you know, shaking my head just dirt. And in my head, I was like, shut the F up. I'm having my baby. Stop talking to me. I'm not moving. But I couldn't actually voice that at the time. <laughs> and so um, it was you know, it's super intense. Again, that fetal ejection reflex just totally took over and they didn't know what was happening because they knew it was super close. But then all of a sudden his head popped out and I was sitting on the toilet. I stood up immediately Mm. and they were like, oh my gosh. And I walked a couple of steps forward, holding, like putting my hand on his head. And then within seconds, his body followed and I just pulled him out and straight up standing up over the toilet. Wow. So powerful. Yeah. So that was, um, that was pretty incredible. And then, yeah. So I said, I think I said he was posterior as well, which I didn't know right away. Um, but looking back at the video, I'm like, oh my gosh, another posterior baby. So, so interesting. So that's obviously just, you know, your babies want to be cooked in that position. I, yeah, I swear my babies just choose to be that way because I do a lot of spinning babies and, you know, I'm intentional with, um, forward-leaning inversions to help them into optimal positions. But I guess it's just how they want to be birthed. Yeah, exactly. So just rewinding back a little bit to your wild pregnancy, what was that experience like going from having sort of check-ins all the time to then yeah. just fully trusting in your body's ability to grow your baby? Yeah, yeah. It definitely was a more connected experience. I, I think you kind of have to tune into yourself, right? And so mm. 
Um, with the first, obviously I just did all the routine tests. I did refuse certain things like gestational diabetes tests, all of that. And my midwives were very supportive of anything I wanted to refuse, but they still wanted to, um, check my blood levels and all of that kind of stuff. And so I did that. I did that with my second. And then the third time around, I was like, I just don't want any of this. Like, I believe that I'm nourishing my body well, although at the time, like what I believe now is nourishing compared to then is a little bit different. Um, but I really was intentional with nutrition. I didn't just eat junk food. Um, and I really, really took care of myself and I was very intentional throughout my entire pregnancies. And so I thought, yeah, I just don't want to be pricked and checked and, mm all of this stuff. And, um, I obviously, because I was completely trusting myself and my body and my baby, I was just researching a lot. So I was learning about what are the complications I need to look out for and how do I deal with them at home? What are the complications that you literally would need to transfer for? And, um, just preparing myself and my husband for all of those, um, what ifs. And, um, I remember saying to my husband at one stage, like, I know that you don't really get a say in where I birth because I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make the decision if I'm doing it. But how do you actually feel about, you know, having me having a free birth? And he goes, oh, I guess this is just a natural progression for you. It's to be expected. <laughs> oh. So what about fears? Did you have many fears that you had to work through in the lead up to birth? I definitely didn't have fears. Okay. Um Although I think some fears actually came up in my fourth that I never had in my third and I had to really work through those. Why am I feeling this when I've had a free birth before? Mm. And I think it was because I was back here in Australia and I had had a safety net in California with my midwife. Like Mm. she was my backup plan and I didn't have that here because I didn't have a midwife I knew and was close with that I could call upon. And so that was a really different experience having to work through some of those fears that I wasn't expecting to come up at all. Yeah, okay. And what was the reason for moving back to Australia? Um, So the plan was always to stay there. We were working towards getting our green card and staying there permanently. But with COVID, we couldn't get back into Australia to renew our visa and we had to renew it before we could go on to the green card process. So it was a whole thing. We were trying to renew it internally and, and, and they strung us along for eight months and then the lawyers turned around and said sorry but you're gonna have to travel to a different country this is like they're they're pushing back on this it's a lot harder to do it internally and um we just kind of looked at each other and the state of the world at that point that was about march 21 Mm. um we just went are we ever gonna see our family again like this is looking like really there was a lot of uncertainty at that time and so we made the executive decision like do we travel with three children to a european country quarantine for two weeks before going into the interview and then potentially not being able to actually see our family if they don't open up you know Mm. with mandates and things like that and so um we decided you know what let's just throw in the towel and move home having the fourth baby it would be nice to have family support so we moved back when I was 20 weeks pregnant and we arrived um on my first daughter's birthday in June of last year 2021 and did the two weeks quarantine and then um, obviously I'd had a completely wild pregnancy, hadn't seen anyone, no tests, no nothing. And, um, that was really amazing. But going into hotel quarantine, somehow they found out I was pregnant. I think my husband may have accidentally slipped it cause they ring you every single day to check oh. <laughs> on you. And, um, I didn't want them to know because I didn't want them sending nurses up and things like that. Yeah. And he must have slipped it out. And so they were like, oh, my goodness, we need to we need to talk to her. And so they had a midwives calling me and I had to just play it super cool. Like they're like, okay, what tests have you had? When was your last ultrasound? And I'm like, no, I haven't done any of that. And they're like, you really need to. And I said, yep, I'm planning to when I get out. So I just kind of had to play the game a little bit um, mm. to get them off my back. Um, yeah, so we got out of that situation and – the rest of the pregnancy was beautiful. So like I mentioned earlier, my pregnancy in general this time was so much better. I had actually transitioned away from my vegan diet, which there's absolutely no disrespect to any vegans listening. Um, But for my body, there was a huge stark difference. And I guess my body was just I had my pregnancies pretty close together as well and probably hadn't re-nourished with the right mineral balance and all of that kind of stuff. And I really felt a huge difference just um, energy-wise. I wasn't nauseous. Um, I started to get a little bit nauseous towards the end of my pregnancy, um, which, you know, was fine. It was like a few weeks before I actually went into labor. But 
most of my pregnancy was actually amazing. Um, you mentioned you had some fears rise up for this birth in particular. What were some of those fears? The fears that came up were like, why am I... I suddenly started feeling this overwhelming feeling like, oh, my goodness, what if my baby dies? Um, what if there's a complication? Yeah, it was so weird. Yeah. It was scary to think, like, if I have to transfer, what's that going to look like? Yeah. And so I was talking to another friend who was a month ahead of me and she was having her first free birth, second child, and we were talking and, you know, we were just talking about how each pregnancy really transforms you and the growth, that, you, like what they really expose to you while you're growing them and, and if you grow with that. Like it's really amazing the transformation you can have, have and I told her, like, I'm having these weird fears. Like, I don't believe, I don't believe birth is dangerous. I have had three babies. I've had one free birth. Like, I know, like, in my very cells that birth is normal and natural. Mm. And um, she's like, you really need to just, like, sit with those fears and figure out, like, why are they coming up? Because that's not your belief system. That's just something that's arising for some other reason. And so, you know, I really sat with that and I really think it came down to the fact that, yeah, my backup plan was always my midwife in California and here there wasn't a backup plan except the hospital and that yeah. really gave me more fear than actually anything else. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Could you not find a midwife to sort of support you in the background? I talked to a midwife and um, it, you really had to pay if you wanted them to be yeah. your backup. You had to pay. And I was like, I'm not, I don't want to pay for your services. Like <laughs> unless I actually needed to call on you, then I would be happy to pay. Yeah. Um, but it was like, you had to pay in advance for them to be on call. And I was like, no, I, I'm having an unassisted birth. I don't want that. So I really had to just sit with it. And, you know, I got over it. I moved out of those feelings and I realized deep down, my belief is that birth is normal and natural. And I believe my body was designed to do this. And I believe in birth. I just had to really deal with those surfacing fears. Um, and once I dealt with them, yeah, it was, I was back to feeling really excited and all of that. So, yeah. yeah. So should we jump now to the end of your pregnancy, that first sign of labor starting? Yeah, so um, I had never experienced Braxton Hicks until my fourth. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was getting some Braxton Hicks, so that was different. And then I had never experienced prodromal labor, and I got prodromal labor. Um, and I was getting, like, some cramping, and it was leading up to actually my sister having her wedding. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I cannot go into labor before my sister, you know, has her wedding. And I was 38 weeks when she got married, so it was like – I had never gone early, but I was like, please don't let this be the time that I do. And then um, I think it was she got married on the Saturday and then on the Monday I was convinced I was in labour. Like the surges were increasing in frequency and intensity. There was a pattern to them. And so I called my birth team after a few hours. You know, they came over and... <laughs> It stalled out. It stalled out and everyone slept over the night because we weren't sure if it was going to pick back up and it totally stopped. And the next morning I was like, I'm so no. sorry. <laughs> I'm sure they didn't mind. <laughs> so um, my husband, obviously my my mum and my sister had, my other sister, not the one that just got married, um, she had just found out she was pregnant. So she was about oh. five weeks and she was like, I really want to be there so I can see birth the way that it's meant to be. And so I was like, yeah, absolutely. So I obviously had to talk to her about like the energy that I wanted in my space mm -hmm. um, to allow her there. But she was amazing. And then um, my photographer, who's also like a birth keeper. Yeah, that's my sister-in-law, Kate. Really? Kate Nell, birth keeper. Just oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, she traveled from Brisbane to the Gold Coast and um, slept the night. <laughs> So did it end up progressing after that? It stopped through the night, but we weren't, like everyone went to sleep and we weren't sure if it was going to pick back up. And then, you know, the next morning I woke up and I'm like, there's nothing. I'm sorry, guys. And everyone's like, no worries. And Kate was actually like, it's all right. I actually had a full night's sleep without getting woken up <gasps> to breastfeed. Course. So it's all good. I'm actually okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because Luna's still feeding, of course. Exactly. So, um that was, yeah, I was around 38 and a half weeks then. So it was literally another two weeks because I, I think I went 40 in five days. Um, it was another two, four weeks of prodromal labor. Almost every afternoon I would get cramping. Um, 
and I would let them know like, hey, I'll let you know if this um, actually goes anywhere, um, but I'm cramping again. And it was like so frustrating and emotional for me because I was like, what is happening with my body? Like, why is this happening? (laughs) Was there anything you did that helped you during that time to sort of stay grounded and not fully succumb to those feelings? Yeah, I definitely had to do some, um, I think Kate actually sent me a YouTube video where it was like a mindfulness meditation where I just had to sit and calm my mind because really that's what it is it's a mind game and it was all about like calming my mind again and recentering myself and reminding myself that this sucks and emotionally it's draining but this isn't false labor it's my body still preparing for the real thing yes and stuff is happening even though it's not actually progressing to the actual birthday at this yeah. stage. Yeah. I love that. So shifting your perspective from my body isn't working to my body is doing what is necessary for an optimal birth. Exactly. Which definitely can be hard in the moment. It is hard. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And then I, I posted on my Insta stories just explaining like I thought I was in labor <laughs> and I was prepared, you know, had the birth pool set up and everything. Um and so many people, it was very comforting because so many people said we had prodromal labor as well. And I had it for this long before. And everyone was saying we had a really short birth. And so I was thinking, oh my gosh, I'm probably going to have like a three hour labor. This is amazing. And so when I did actually go into labor, um, you know, I was kind of expecting it to be that short, but it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the way, isn't it? always if you're setting you're setting yourself up for failure if you go in with any expectations I tell women that all the time now (laughs) (laughs) but um I remember the day before I went into labor I was so just I wasn't depressed is you know over exaggerating but I was just feeling it I was feeling overwhelmed I was really not wanting to see anyone do anything. I was really going within and I decided I just needed to stop making myself crazy. And so we went to the beach and my husband and I were throwing the Frisbee at each other for about an hour. I was just like running and catching the Frisbee at 40 weeks and four days pregnant. And I thought maybe this will put me into labor because I'd gone to the beach the day before I went into labor with my third And sure enough, the next morning I woke up and I was like, oh, because cramping had started the night before again. And then I woke up pregnant and I was like, I can't take the kids to school. I just, I need to stay at home. So my mom took the girls to school, which is, you know, 30 minutes away from our house. And I didn't want to do that drive. And I started feeling cramping right before they left. And I didn't say anything because I didn't want to get anyone excited or get myself excited And I went and laid back down in bed and they just continued and continued and continued and they were increasing in frequency and intensity. And I thought, gosh, maybe this is it. This does feel different this time. And so they started really moving and progressing. And I messaged my mom and I said, don't leave Coolangatta because um, you may have to pick up the girls again because I think I'm in labor today. And she's like, oh, my gosh, how exciting. So she had my son with her and she just went to the park with him and stayed out so that I could be here alone laboring without him. Um, and then I told her, yeah, this is this is happening. So, um, you know, bring them back when you can. And so she brought them home around lunchtime. And I had definitely started progressing. I'd called Kate. She'd come. And um, my sister had come over. And they were there to really support my my other kids as well because I really wanted them there. But I wanted to obviously have my husband whenever I needed him. Um, And in my third, I didn't – he was, you know, on kid duty. And so I I didn't have as much of him as I would have liked. And so – at one stage, oh, actually, I did have a friend here as well, and I was actually at her birth, and so she came to this birth as well. And I look back on it now, and I'm like, gosh, I had way too many people, but at the same time, you know, I don't regret it. But there was a stage, maybe around one or two p.m., where I started to feel really watched and really overwhelmed, mm. and really like not comfortable. And I'd never experienced that in labor before. And um, I was not with anyone that I wasn't comfortable around. I certainly wasn't experiencing them being disrespectful in my space. 
but it just shows that like birthing all mammals, right? You want to go into a dark, quiet corner by yourself. You don't want to feel watched. And I was really, really feeling that. And so I started feeling so uncomfortable and my labor was stalling out as a result. So I said to my husband, can we just go for a walk? I need to get out of this house. I need to get away from everyone. And so we went for a walk and Kate actually said, do you want me to come and take photos? And I said, no, I just need to be alone. Um, so we walked around the block and, um, my contractions definitely started increasing again and then we came back and I said babe I just need to be in the room with you I can't see anyone this is what my body needs and I'm really struggling with people around me at the moment so we went into my room and you know for about an hour he was just with me and Kate came in at one stage and she's like is everything okay and I'm like yep I'm just feeling so uncomfortable and she's like you do you we'll be here when you're ready And so eventually things progressed enough to where I'd kind of got out of my head and I felt comfortable to come back out. I'd kind of moved out of that energy space that I was in. Um, And I came out of my room and, yeah, things were progressing and I I loved having the people around me that were there. Again, it was just this really bizarre period of time that I was like, I cannot do this with everyone around me. And I would say to any woman listening, like, that is so important. Important. Like in that moment, you you simply can't think about other people and their feelings. You have to do what's right for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you came back out of the room. Yep. And then, you know, things started really moving and um, I got in the pool. I felt, you know, ready to be in the pool and all of that. And <clears throat> I could definitely tell that I was moving into transition. And um, Sorry, were all your kitties there? Yes, they were. They Beautiful. were. Yeah. So they were obviously, uh, they were helping, they were applying essential oils to my back and, you know, they were just there with me. My little two-year-old boy was just eating snacks the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Just every single part in the video (laughs) is just like him eating snacks, watching me in the pool. (laughs) I love it. Amazing. So classic. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah. And then like, you know, it it was quite a few hours. That's boring for kids. So, you know, we had, they were outside scootering and, you know, my mom and sister were kind of playing with them and then we had the tv on as I started moving like really closer to the pushing stage they were actually watching the tv and I remember at one stage I was like bring them over I think we're close um and then they came over and then it was I was still working so it was they were kind of bored just standing there because I thought that I was closer than I was so they went back over they were watching tv and then I you know I got to the point where I was like okay this is happening his head's descending I can feel it um, so we called them back over again and, um, yeah, they got to watch their baby brother be born. He was a surprise. We had no idea, obviously, what his gender was. And, again, he was posterior. So incredible. <laughs> wow. So did you have front and back labour with him as well? Yep. Yep, yeah. same. Yep. And it was nothing, nothing like my first. It was really weird. I don't know. I also think it was my perception, like going into my first labor. I just believed from my own societal conditionings that labor is really painful. And so I think I went into it believing like, it's going to be really painful. That's okay. But just having that belief around it made it more painful. And so the next times around, um, yeah, I just, I didn't have that perception. I was just like, this is a wave that I'm riding. And it was very different, my perception of the pain. Yeah, so interesting. So was there any resources that you found helpful that you could sort of, you know, call on during your labors to deal with the intensity? Um, I did, uh, I did a, I did classes with my husband before my first, but it was the Bradley method. And I did, I chose that method. I think it's very American. Mm -hmm. Um, and I chose that one because it was very focused on, the husband or the spouse being your birth partner and their involvement. So it was really focused around education for them. And I was like, I'm, I'm a self learning person. Like I can learn anything I want myself and I'm very determined, but I really needed him to feel comfortable. And so I did that purposely because I wanted him to learn everything he needed to know about the whole process. I didn't do any hypnobirthing, although I've definitely like, watch hypnobirthing videos and kind of I'm just one of those people where I'm like I've got this I'll watch a video and I'll practice and I'll, I'll get it yeah. <laughs> so um I definitely yeah take on a bit of that um philosophy in 
in my labor, but didn't actually do an official class or course. Yeah, amazing. And your placenta, you did the same thing with this one as well? Yep. And I didn't have my my chick in California doing it. So I just did it myself. Like two days postpartum, I was standing up in my kitchen, cutting up my placenta and my brother, my brother-in-laws walk in the door oh. and they just thought it was a big piece of steak on oh. my, <laughs> on my job. Oh. Ping board, and they thought nothing of it until my sister pointed out that's her placenta, and they both started gagging. <laughs> <laughs> and your postpartum this time around, you said you've had a really good experience. It's been amazing. Yeah, absolutely amazing. I think the only thing that, you know, like I was really feeling in my postpartum was fourth baby, busy life with the other three kids, um, husband feeling overwhelmed with everything that he had to pick up and do. I only got really two weeks in my bed and then I kind of had to start like getting back into helping with school runs and helping with the various different things. And I think there was a there was a point at two and a half weeks postpartum where I kind of broke down. I was like, I should be in my bed. I should be having people serving me food. And (laughs) that was probably the hardest thing for me is realizing like, I'm not, I don't feel ready to get back into real life, but I kind of have to at this point. Yeah, of course. So is that you guys done then? Do you think? Look, I (laughs) have not, (laughs) I actually didn't feel done at all. Like I was like, babe, I'm not done. Like we need to go again for a fifth. And he's like, babe, I'm getting the snip. I cannot. Like we are done. And I'm like, do not do that. Um, But in the last month or so, I've actually, I don't, I could give birth and do that, you know, early postpartum stage over and over and over. Um, But, you know, my two-year-old is almost a three-year-old and I'm like, oh, Mm. I forgot what this (laughs) age was like. And, and I have to do this again with my fourth. So I actually started feeling in the last month, like I think, I think I'm done. Like I, yeah. I would love to give birth again and, you know, breastfeed again. I am still breastfeeding, but I, I don't think I want to go back to the start again. So yeah. I, I do actually start, feel like I have a little bit of closure there. Yeah, I feel you deeply on that. So what would be some of the bigger lessons that you've taken away from your birth experiences? Biggest lessons, um, every single experience transformed me in a different way and I learned new things about myself and my body and really came down to like the biggest lessons are trusting yourself and your baby Mm. Um, and the more that I did that, the better experience I had really. Um, and I think we live in a society where birth isn't trusted. It is treated like a medical event that needs to be fixed in some way. And, um, that is, that does us a disservice. It doesn't do us any favors. Um, and so if women learn how to trust themselves and their bodies, like the experience, the transformation that is had through birth is beyond incredible. Gave me goosebumps. <laughs> to wrap up the episode, what would be your key piece of advice for any expectant mothers out there listening? Yeah, it's surround yourself with other women who, who believe in physiological birth, who believe in birth as a rite of passage, who don't believe in birth as being a dangerous medical event. Um, and then educate yourself because I think knowledge is power. I think what happens is women go into their birthing experience and often hand their power over to the system because they don't know enough to feel confident to assert themselves in certain situations or to say no to certain things. Um, And so if we know enough about physiological birth, about what birth really looks like when it's left undisturbed, if we know enough about, even if you choose to go into a hospital birth, if you know enough about the complications that can arise and what you can do to actually help rectify those complications without needing all this unnecessary medical intervention. Um, It makes you feel so much more empowered, even I believe in being in the system, um, to be able to handle the pushback from medical staff that um, are maybe trying to push something on you that you don't want. And so education really is key because then you can go into it feeling confident to say, absolutely not, I don't want you doing that yeah. because they put the power of fear in you. You know, they throw around phrases like, you know, chance of stillborn or your baby's heart rate's dropping, we need to get this baby out now. And yeah. those things for a mother are very, very emotion and anxiety-inducing. Yeah. 
because no one wants to lose their baby. Um, I do want to say as well, like I have a birth course that's coming out very shortly and I would love to obviously give any of your listeners a discount to that once it's released. So I'll just chat with you um, about that behind the scenes and then you can share that with your listeners because it's everything that I've learned and educated myself on throughout my experiences and um, it's really – it's an entire course that's focused around really it's to help women who choose to go into home birth or free birth, but even someone going into a birthing center or a hospital can gain knowledge and education from it to feel empowered because I think the most important thing for a woman is that no matter how she decides to birth or where she decides to birth, she needs to feel supported and empowered. Amazing. So when will that be released? Well, it was meant to be released in June, but I have had the craziest June of my life with three birthdays in our family. I was like, (laughs) why did I set the the release date for June? So I'm actually very, (laughs) I'm very close. Uh, It's probably going to be in the next two weeks. Sounds amazing. Well, I'm sure after hearing your birth stories today, a lot of my listeners will be eager to get their hands on this new resource. So we can have a chat and I will pop a link in the show notes. Yay. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Beck, for coming on today and sharing all your wisdom and knowledge with us. It's been so amazing to chat with you. Thank you for having me on. It's been so nice to share. That brings us to the end of today's show, everyone. Some amazing information throughout today's episode for you. Some take-homes for me today. Beck's story really highlights the importance of supporting your hormonal flow during labor. I find it so fascinating when a woman's body reacts to her environment in such a way. It's a real show of those primal instincts activating. When your body senses any kind of stress or unease in any form, it can slow that labor process down. Being in tune and really communicating to your body in those moments, accompanied with deeply understanding what best supports physiological birth, will help you to recognize and make changes needed to get back in the zone. Just as when she was feeling watched and knew that alone time with her husband away from everyone was what she needed in that moment. Also, prodromal labor, guys. It can be so damaging to your psyche in that last leg before giving birth. Listening to Beck's experiences with prodromal labor is a great reminder that your body is working for you, not against you, and there are reasons for everything. You just have to surrender and trust the process, as hard as that can be when you're in those hard moments and the As mentioned in this week's episode, Beck will be releasing an incredible course called Empowered Birth Academy. I personally already had a read through so I can vouch for the wealth of knowledge you will gain from this incredible resource on offer. Keep a listen out for the launch date and an exclusive PBA discount code for my listeners in the coming weeks. Or head over to Beck's Instagram page for all the latest updates on its release. I will link all her details in the show notes. Lastly, if you love PBA, a review on your chosen podcast platform helps us to reach more women who need it. Thank you so much for tuning in. I will see you all next week for another episode.